went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leapt in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. You can be seated. Please pray with me. Father, we come before your word, and I am always amazed that you have given us the Bible that has led your church for millennia and millennia. That from these words, you have used them by the power of your spirit through preaching to transform the hearts of women and men. Father, we are well aware that we need your spirit. Father, some of us are having a really hard time focusing. Father, some of us wonder if you still transform hearts Lord Jesus, if, as your word says, you still stand at the door and knock, that we would invite you in. Father, we wonder, is your word still so powerful that as you have promised, it never goes out from you and returns void, but always accomplishes the purposes for which you sent it? Father, some of us wonder, if this Bible contains your words to transform our lives. But I praise you, Father, that you have said that every word of this scripture is God-breathed and it is useful. It is useful for us that by your word, you illustrate to us the glories of Christ and you change us. Father, we know that we need to be changed. We know that our hearts need to continue to be shaped and molded according to your ways. Father, we ask that you would build in us deep trust. 
Father, I pray for those who are here today who have said goodbye to loved ones, who have left the town in which they live, and who trust in you that you will continue to make yourself known to them. Father, we ask you, would you do more than we can ask or imagine? Father, we praise you for our church. We know that we need you. We need you to unite us. We need you so that we together might magnify your name. We need you to feed our rejoicing. Father, we pray for the cities in which you have put us. We pray that your name would be made great. And that through us, your kingdom would advance into these cities and that you would draw women and men to come to faith. Even this Christmas season, that they would worship you. Father, we praise you that you're at work in ways that we don't know. And so, Father, we humbly trust you. We confess to you that we are anxious women and men. There are many things that we wonder But we now ask you, in these few minutes, grab our attention, show us the glory of Christ, that we would be changed. Father, I thank you that you are able to do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine. To you be the glory and the honor and the praise. In the name of Jesus, we pray all these things. Amen. I love that Aaron highlighted this idea of hope at the beginning of Advent out of this first gospel message in the third chapter of Genesis, no less. Imagine the idea that God in the midst of his curse also gives blessing. We have come into this Advent season uh, yet again as a church, this idea of coming, that's what the word Advent means. And it's not new to the church, right? Scholars will tell us that the Advent season is as old as the 3rd or even the 4th century, that it was a time that was often used for preparation of people as they began to move toward that time of the celebration in the church of Epiphany when God made himself known through Jesus Christ to the wise men, right? Or to his baptism, at, at, in the Jordan when the Holy Spirit and the, when the voice of God spoke and the Spirit of God descended on him and even Jesus' first miracle in Cana of Galilee at the wedding there. Later on in the history of the church, Advent becomes associated with this idea of coming, but not the first coming, nor, more the second coming, the idea that Christ would come back, again a time of preparation. And it's not until much later that it becomes associated with Christmas, this celebration where we have associated it with the coming of Jesus as a baby born in a manger. We always remind ourselves it's not just that, but it's also that we are remembering and setting our heart and our attention, not just the fact that Jesus came, but that he is coming again. So it's both a look backwards and a look forwards for us. And we remember that during this season of Advent, this idea of preparation. I don't know what you do over Thanksgiving, but not only do we have a lot of preparation that happens for folks to come to the house, but then we usually sit back after a long day of Thanksgiving and we look for a movie 
And our family thought, well, let's look for a movie, and we got to Downton Abbey. It hasn't come out yet. At least I don't, I don't think it has. It might have been one of those that came out, but you couldn't rent yet, and we were probably too cheap to pay 20 bucks for it. Um, but you know that the theme of this movie now is that the king and queen are coming to Downton Abbey. Now, I, I'm not necessarily a Downton Abbey fan, but it struck me as you saw how everyone in that castle prepared themselves, and they went to the nth degree to prepare themselves for the coming of the king. It's a great picture as we sit and think about Advent for us. It is in this context that Mary gives this hymn of praise. What we know of and what's written in many of the titles of your Bible, the Magnificat. It's the Latin term for magnify and it's this hymn of praise that Mary gives in front of Elizabeth. You know the story so far in Luke, right? If you just turn back one page, you can see that Luke is writing this so that Theophilus might have an accurate account of everything that's happened. We read first of the birth of John the Baptist foretold, and then we read of Gabriel coming to Mary and foretelling the birth of Jesus to her. And then we see immediately that Mary leaves and goes and sees her relative Elizabeth. And it's here that we hear these words of Mary. Mary was from the backwaters of Nazareth. She was most likely not educated. It would have been highly unusual for her to have been educated, except for the education that she would have received through the songs and the psalms. It's a beautiful picture of the way that hymns in the hymnody of the scriptures directed Mary and her thoughts. What's interesting in this section is that we're told that when Elizabeth sees Mary, she's filled with the Holy Spirit and she proclaims something to Mary. But when Mary begins to proclaim the information that she has no doubt been digesting since the angel Gabriel spoke to her, we hear that Mary begins to speak in a way that is well-versed, if you will, in the Psalms. The first is the parallel that Mary says, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. It sounds like she's reading a psalm, doesn't, she? doesn't it? And then from there, we see the pattern of psalms that follow, and particularly the psalms that have to do with the king, God's king coming. Why would Mary do that? Well, if you look back to the verses that precede, verses 31 and following, when Gabriel says, this is what's going to happen to you, Mary, that you're going to bear a son and his name will be Jesus and he'll be great and will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. Mary is thinking in the context of kings. And she is thinking about what God has done. It's interesting to me, and the only thing that we're going to look at today is this idea that Mary says, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. What, does, what, what aspects of God does Mary magnify and why does she rejoice? That's all I want to look at with you today. What does Mary magnify? That's the first part of this, and there are three things that she magnifies. Look at it. In verses 49 and 50, she magnifies God's might. She magnifies God's holiness. 
and she magnifies God's mercy. Verses 49 and 50. I like this word magnify. This idea that in one's life one would exalt or give glory to. But in one sense, the way we understand the word magnify is one would make something larger. Make sure that it is that attention is drawn to it, right? And that's what Mary does here. She draws attention to God. My soul magnifies God and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, she says. What does she magnify first? It says in verses 47 into 48, the reason that her soul magnifies and the reason that she rejoices is because God has looked on the humble estate of his servant And that from now on, every generation is going to call her blessed. And then in verse 49, she says this, For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. We get two aspects of what Mary magnifies there. God's might and his holiness in verse 49. Remember, Mary's been told that the baby that she will bear will be a king, and whose throne, the throne of David, will be given to him forever. And this king will save and rescue Israel from their enemies. Mary was well-versed in the Psalms. One Psalm that she might have been thinking about is Psalm 89, 9 through 10, where it says, O Lord, God of hosts, who is mighty as you are, O Lord, with your faithfulness all around you. That she remembers the Psalms about God's might. And not just that God is strong, not just might. One of my cousins is a weightlifter, and his brother loves to call him the show horse. He will tell my father, you won't get a lot of work out of him, but he's the show horse. (laughs) Jesus, or, or the king that is mentioned in Psalm 89, is not a show horse king, but a king who uses his might and his strength to save his people. In fact, if you go back and read Psalm 89... It talks about God's sovereign rule, his might, even over the raging sea. Even over the raging sea. Mary also magnifies God's holiness in verse 49. She says, for he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. Again, Mary, educated by the Psalms. Might have been thinking of Psalm 99, 3, where it says, Let them praise your great and awesome name. Holy is he. Or Psalm 111 that says, He sent redemption to his people. He has commanded his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is he. The words that flow from Mary are the words that Mary has sung over and over and over that identify what God is doing among his people. This idea of his holiness is a display of his unique and sovereign authority, his right to rule over his people. This is an amazing aspect of the Psalms that come out here in Mary's praise. And finally, God's mercy. Listen to how she says it. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name, and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. 
the steadfast love and faithfulness of God. God's mercy, as it is titled in that favorite hymn, Psalm 100. For the Lord is good, his steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. Because it is with, without God's mercy, God's holiness actually distances us from him. But in his mercy, in his mercy, his holiness comes to us. Mary, who responds to Elizabeth's praise of her, turns around and magnifies and makes great, not herself, but God in his might and in his holiness and in his mercy. And the second question is, why does she rejoice? In verse 47, we are told one reason. My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Mary knew God as her Savior. In verse 48, it says that God has looked upon me. Mary knew that the Lord had looked upon her. And in verse 49, again, she says, in his might, he has done great things for me. God's salvation has incorporated Mary, who herself has admitted that she's from a lowly and humble estate, but God has made himself known through her. And here we see Mary's expectations of what God is going to do. Next week, we're going to look at the second half of what Mary says here. But I want to ask the question, Mary's expectations, how has Jesus' accomplishments been? How has Jesus magnified the Father? The writer of Hebrews tells us that Jesus is the exact imprint of the Father. How has Jesus magnified the Father in his might? Has Jesus been the magnificent king that Mary expected that would take on the throne of David? Not only is Jesus the king, but we are told in Scripture that he is the king of kings. That his might is so great that as Aaron spoke of in this candle of hope, that Jesus himself in his death defeats death. One of the favorite titles of any book of theology that I've ever attempted to read is the title of a book by John Owen called The Death of Death in the Death of Christ. <laughs> the Death of Death in the Death of Christ. That Jesus' might superseded anything that Mary would have expected as the king who would reign over Israel, but Jesus' might defeated death at the cross. How about his holiness, this unique and sovereign reign over Israel that there's no other God over Israel? Well, we're told in the New Testament that Jesus reigns not just over Israel, but Ephesians 1 reminds us that everything in heaven and on earth and under the earth is subject to Jesus. Listen to how it says it in Revelation 5.13. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. 
that the might of Jesus, his holiness is God's unique and sovereign king reigns over everything. And how about his mercy? How about his mercy? How has Jesus magnified the Father in his mercy? Jesus is the one who invites all who are weary and heavy burdened to come to him. To those in the church, in Revelation 3, he stands at the door and he knocks. And he says, if you open the door, I will come in and have fellowship with you. And I'll eat with you and you can eat with me. And then ultimately, we even see Jesus rejoicing in all that God has done. From this great prophetic passage of the Old Testament in Zephaniah, the Lord your God is in your midst. The definition of Emmanuel, a mighty one who will save. Jesus is the one who saves us from our sins. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with his love. He will exalt. He will magnify over you with loud singing. This is Jesus. Jesus who so far exceeds Mary's expectations as she magnifies the Lord for his might and his holiness and his mercy. And as she rejoices in what God is doing to her, we see how Jesus himself magnifies the Father. And it stops us. And we ask ourselves at the beginning of Advent, what do you and I magnify? What do we magnify? What do we make great? I received an Instagram picture. I, I don't do Instagram, but a buddy of mine was. And, and he sent me an Instagram and said, thought of you when I saw this picture. It was a Toyota Land Cruiser stuck in a ditch. And it made me laugh because obviously when he thinks of me, he thinks of old trucks that get stuck in ditches, Right? What about you? What does your life magnify? Does it magnify self? Does it magnify something else that is your attention? Here's a question that might be very revealing and even hard to ask. Ask someone who knows you well. When you think of me, what comes to your mind? Mary proclaimed, at the announcement of Jesus, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in Christ my Savior. I too thought of a song. I thought of that song in Christ alone. Listen to how it reads in response to might and holiness and mercy. No guilt in life, no fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. From life's first cry to final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. Even in that first, those first two lines, you see the might of Christ, the power of Christ to take away our guilt and to take away our fear of death. And then from our first cry to our final breath, knowing that Jesus, in his sovereign authority over our lives, he commands our destiny. And then listen to this last part. No power of hell nor scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand until he returns or calls me home. Here in the power of Christ, I'll stand. What do we magnify? 
Do we magnify God's might and his holiness and his mercy? How about our rejoicing? In my family, my name around Christmas is the Grinch. And as I have been studying this Magnificat of Mary, I have found myself completely convicted. This idea that our voices would not be filled with rejoicing in this season is something that this hymn of praise brings shame to me about. And the only thing that I could think is the very quote in the order of preparation, rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel has come to thee. As we start this Advent season and as we look at this portion through Mary's Magnificat and through Zechariah's prophecy, we ask ourselves today, how do we magnify the Lord and how do we rejoice in him? Let's go to his table together.